Naval Academy Museum presents a history of the Navy in 100 objects. Early in World War II, Allied and U.S. forces were back on their heels as a result of both the German U-boat onslaught in the Atlantic and in the wake of the Pearl Harbor attacks in the Pacific. Our last two episodes showed how the Allies turned the naval conflict around in the Atlantic and went on the offensive, ruthlessly hunting down German U-boats while protecting the vital logistics convoys. In the Pacific, after their victory at Pearl Harbor, the Japanese continued their offensive to secure Southeast Asia. The Japanese end goal was to set up a large defensive perimeter and settle for a negotiated peace that would leave them in control of much of the Pacific. However, they underestimated the fury of the U.S. response. The U.S. struck back as soon as it could, hitting the Marshall Islands, Wake Island, and elsewhere, and Jimmy Doolittle launched his daring raid on Tokyo in April of 1942. This showed the Americans and the Japanese that the Japanese were not invincible and could be attacked. The Americans drew up a three-pronged approach to take back the Pacific and ultimately defeat Japan. This offensive, along with those in Europe, would require a massive support and logistical infrastructure. On January 5th of 1942, Admiral Ben Morrell had received authorization from the Bureau of Navigation, which was eventually renamed the Bureau of Naval Personnel, or BUPERS, to recruit men from the construction trade for assignment to a naval construction regiment. This first construction regiment was composed of three naval construction battalions. This marked the beginning of the Seabees. Their nickname comes from the initial letters in Construction Battalion, CB. Command authority was granted to the Navy's Civil Engineer Corps, and thus the Seabees were granted combat status, which helped add to their legend throughout the war and in later years. The Seabees would play a vital role in the American Pacific Offensive. Our object today is one of the most unique of the 100 Objects collection, it documents the essence of the Seabees in its very design. It is a handmade photo album which documents the 26th Battalion's work on Guadalcanal. David D'Onofrio helps us examine our object, and to further help tell the Seabee story, we feature a World War II naval documentary about the Seabees produced by the Office of Strategic Services, now known as the CIA. The documentary prologue is provided by Admiral Ben Morrell himself, founder of the Seabees. When the enemy struck at Pearl Harbor, the whole of America's mighty productive machinery was thrown into high gear to place the country on a full war footing. The Congress quickly enacted legislation providing for the greatest construction program in the history of the world. Almost overnight, the Bureau of Yards and Docks of the Navy Department became a billion-dollar concern. Recognizing the need for an organization of skilled workers to build advanced bases in active theaters of war, the Bureau of Yards and Docks obtained authority for the establishment of the 1st Naval Construction Battalion in charge of officers of the Civil Engineer Corps of the Navy. From this 1st Battalion of 1,100 officers and men, the personnel of the CBs 
increased with the demands of war to 3,300, 10,000, 30,000, until at the present time, the total authorized strength is 222 active battalions with approximately 290,000 officers and men. It is difficult to put into words a full account of their services to the fighting forces, but I feel sure that this tour of CB activities, as seen through the eyes of the motion picture camera, will justify our confidence in this youngest member of the great Navy family, whose motto, Construimus Batuimus, we build, we fight, is translated into action in the film you are about to see. With the Aleutians back in American hands, hands that not only fired accurately, but built swiftly, the finger pointing toward Japan clenched into a fist that could strike a direct and punishing blow at the enemy's heart. From other points in the Pacific, the left hook was being planned. The CBs put Midway back on the map. At Pearl Harbor, officers of the Civil Engineer Corps assisted in the salvaging of ships that had been irreparably lost, according to the Japanese press. A strange name in the far-off Solomons became a household word. Guadalcanal. At Guadalcanal, the Marines add a new verse to a famous song. The Marines sing a fighting song, but their most extravagant words were an understatement at Guadalcanal. Yes, when you say Guadalcanal, you say Marines. But those Marines will be the first to tell you that if they made history at Guadal, those CBs working and fighting shoulder to shoulder with them made something more tangible than history. They made a thriving base out of the flaming wreckage that was left after Johnny Marine had proved his point to Mr. Tojo that this island was too small for the two of them. With possession of Henderson Field, conclusion jumpers were congratulating each other on our domination of the South Pacific. For after all, wasn't Henderson Field the key to the Solomons? Yes, we had wrested a key from the Japs that was going to open some mighty important doors. But before that key could turn a single lock, it was badly in need of repair. The CBs digging into that airfield with the same fighting spirit as the Marines had hit the beach, repaired 53 shell and bomb craters in 48 hours. That would be a record in any league, but the CBs hung up their record under fire. This one was a ship fitter first class, but he seems to be a first class gunner too. 
When Congressman Moss of Minnesota saw the CBs in action at Grottle, he reported, I saw CBs working on Henderson Field drop their tools, pick up their rifles, and fight side by side with the Marines. When the attack was over, the CBs put down their guns, picked up their tools, and calmly went back to work again. Just in time to fight off the enemy's most desperate counterattack, our fighter planes were able to use the runway. But the CBs didn't stop for any bows. They knew it was their job to put throttle on the offensive. Widen the field. Lengthen the runway. Place the fill. Grade the surface. Level it off. Make it navigable, not only for fighter planes, but for flying fortresses. The first U.S. assault began at the small island of Guadalcanal on August 7, 1942, with the landing of the 1st Marine Division. As they hit the beach, the Marines were accompanied by the 6th Naval Construction Battalion, this unit was the first CB unit in combat. In December, as the Japanese continued to attack Guadalcanal, the 6th Battalion was relieved by the 26th Construction Battalion. And so we come to our object today, one of the most unique of the 100 Objects collection, a handmade photo album built by members of the 26th Battalion. And we're here in Special Collections and Archives today to take a look at this photo album. It's a photo album of the CBs, the 26th Construction Battalion on Guadalcanal during World War II. Now, if you've ever seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you might be familiar with a scene where he was looking for the Holy Grail. He took a look at it and said, that's the cup of a carpenter. Well, you take one look at this item here, and you realize this is the photo album of a construction worker. Front, front and backboards build of fiberboard, spine made out of a hinge, bound together with wing nuts and bolts. We open it and the first thing we see is an ode to the, uh, the battalion itself, hand illustrated, uh, something you might not expect from a construction worker. Now, all across Guadalcanal, the 26th Naval Battalion built roads, bridges, constructed piers, built aviation fuel depots, and engaged in ship salvage operations. Now, when recounting victories in any conflict, one of the contributions that I think gets overlooked a lot is logistics. It's just, you know, not as exciting to some people as others. But try to imagine for a moment, though, what would happen if the CBs were removed from the equation. Supplies don't get through. Planes don't get their fuel. Without the radio stations built by them, communication lines are severed. Ship channels don't get cleared. And the entire war effort just falls apart. And as the first bomber takes off on its mission of softening up enemy bases for the landing operations ahead, the CBs win a two-fisted tribute from a two-fisted Marine, Lieutenant General Vandergrift, who said, I don't know how we would have gotten into the air without the CBs. 